Good morning. Glad to see everybody here this morning. Um, we're going to start off with a song in your blue hymnal. So if you'll turn to page 181. Uh, and if you need a hymnal, let us know. We've got some extra ones up here. But if you'll turn to page 181, we're going to sing the first, second, and fourth verses of Draw Me Near. On page 181 in your blue book. Jesus. We're going to sing all three verses, page 381 in your green hymnals. Yeah. 
you'll turn to page 81 in your green hymnals. Um, we're going to sing Just As I Am. Um, and I know we typically think of this being like an invitational song. If you grew up in the church, that might have been what you was used to. At the end of the service, the preacher would get the song leader to come back up and you'd sing this song, expect people to come down the aisle to accept Jesus for the first time or rededicate their life or whatever it may be. But, you know, for those of us that know the Lord and got a good relationship with Him, you know, this is still a really good song too, you know, because a lot of times we want to depend on ourselves to serve the Lord and to get everything right. Just like our last song said, you know, don't trust your own, trust the Lord and let him take you just as you are you know you don't have to be perfect and have everything all together um, i think we forget sometimes we trust the lord to save us but we forget that he's supposed to sanctify us too and keep us saved so just remember wherever you are today that the lord still takes you just as you are um that's not an excuse to sin and keep making those types of mistakes but to trust him to help you with that too so I'm going to ask everybody who's able to, if you'll stand as we sing this last song, Just As I Am, page 81, and we're going to sing all three verses. of us who know you as your children and ask you lord to um speak to us today lord draw us closer to you help us to know more about you um for your honor and for your glory and god i pray if there's anybody listening today that doesn't know you as your savior that they would come to accept you um before this day is over we love you and praise you and thank you for who you are please be with those that are hurting today and meet them where they are and use us as your instruments of healing and love. In your name we pray. Amen.
Y'all can be seated and children are dismissed for children's church. <laughs> thank you. I probably won't look at it, but thank you. <laughs> All right, Romans chapter 6. We're still in chapter 6. I told you we would move slowly through this. Today we're going to talk about a new master. You know, uh, we've moved into chapter 6 of Romans. Uh, We're starting to talk about sanctification. We've moved from justification to sanctification. Soon we'll see glorification. Those are the three aspects of our salvation. Uh, you can think of it too as a past, present, and future. Uh, but it's all part of our salvation. It is already complete in the mind of God. Uh, and in the position in which we stand before God, it's complete. But you and I are still yet to experience part of this. Uh, we're still yet to experience the glorification of our bodies and those kind of things that will make our salvation complete. But as we move in here to chapter 6, we've seen that we've been freed from sin. It's part of our sanctification, the position that we have in Christ. And and keep that in mind as we go through this. This is not talking so much about practical service, but a position that we have in Christ. That we are already sanctified in Christ. And uh, we've been freed from sin in Christ. Uh, remember, we talked about that the first question that's asked here in Romans 6 is shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The word sin, except for the exception of verse 15 that we'll see in just a moment, <clears throat> in this chapter is always a noun. It's talking about a place, a realm. Remember verse 20 and 21 of chapter 5 talks about, uh, says that, well, let's just read it. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. We've literally, when we're saved, we're literally moved from the realm of, of sin, the kingdom of sin, into the kingdom of grace. When God's Spirit comes into us, He He severs us from sin. He moves us from the realm of sin into the realm of grace through His Spirit that lives in us. Okay? So, He says it's impossible for the believer to live in the kingdom of sin anymore because the Spirit of God that dwells in them has moved them from the, the realm of sin into the realm of grace. So it says it's an impossibility. So then, <clears throat> whoever this person is that is asking these hypothetical questions here in chapter 6, Paul writes these questions here, they're rhetorical questions, but he's writing them as if he's anticipating what's going on in our minds, you know. He says, well, we're... Sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So he knows somebody's going to say, well, 
why don't we just stay in sin so we get more of God's grace? So he answers that. Well, that's impossible. So now, this, this one place here in this whole chapter where sin is used as a verb, now he's talking about a, an individual act of sin. He's talking about an occasional, planned act of sin. In other words, he's going to be asking this question. Well, if we're not living in the kingdom of sin anymore, what about if we just plan to sin at some time in the future uh, every once in a while? What about that? So that's where we're at. And we're going to see that he's going to tell us that that's an impossibility for the believer to plan to sin uh, occasionally or in the future. Now, we, we still do sin, and we're going to talk about that. But for you to have a desire to sin, and that's what this is really going to boil down to, for you to have a desire to want to purposely sin and sin against God, if you're a born-again Christian, it's an impossibility for you to think like that. Um, think about it. If you're saved... You can remember before you were saved, you would sin and you didn't really think about it. You didn't really think of it. There was nothing in you that said, you ought not do that. That's wrong. You wanted to sin. <clears throat> you couldn't help it. You were a slave to sin. You just did it. The only thing that might have bothered you about it was the external consequences. You might be afraid you might get caught but you still wanted to do that. But now after you become a Christian, you got a new desire. Now you have a desire to please God. You have a desire to serve God. You have a desire to want to do what's right and good. That didn't just happen. It's because now the Spirit of God's in you. In other words, what I'm trying to say is, is even though believers do sin, it breaks their heart when they do. They don't want to sin. That's not their desire. Their desire is to please God and live for Him. If you agree with that, say amen. amen. That's what he's fixing to tell us, is that we can't do that. You can't just <clears throat> say, I'm going to purposely plan to sin, because now you have a new master. So beginning with verse 15, he says, What then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Here again, the, the strongest form that they could use in the Greek to say no way, you know, is used here. God forbid. No way. Perish the thought. You, you can't do that. So he goes on and he talks to us about that. He says in verse 16, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey... His servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Now, some people, some people will teach this uh, <clears throat> right here as um, an act, of a, a practice, let's say, uh, that, that you... As a believer, you know, you can decide to serve sin or you can decide to serve the Lord. You know, 
you, you can decide, well, I'm going to serve God, I'm going to serve righteousness, or I'm going to serve sin at any, at any given moment. That's not what this is teaching. This is talking about our position in Christ. He's not saying that a believer can serve two masters. You can't. You can only serve one. So what he's saying here is, he's saying that don't you understand that who you yield yourself to to be a servant, then the one you're serving is your master. And, and before we end here, I want to read some things to you here that might make this make a little more sense to us. But that's the whole key to understanding the rest of this chapter here is, is how do we relate to God as a servant of God? <clears throat> the word servant here means a bond slave. <clears throat> and we'll see as we go through this that a bond slave is someone who has who willingly gives their will over to the will of another. In other words, you're not forced to serve as a bond slave. You serve willingly. And as a bond slave, you willingly forget about your own life, forget about yourself. You don't, you don't have any will anymore. You give your will over to the will of another. Does that make sense? You willingly serve another person and you give, you give them your whole life, your whole being. Uh, you live your life for them because you want to. Your will is swallowed up in the will of another. So when you and I are saved, the Spirit of God comes into our spirit, severs us from sin, so now we no longer are servants to sin, we become servants of God. And because His Spirit is in us, now we want to serve God. And we willingly give our lives to Him, and we want our lives to bring Him glory. So He's saying, whoever you serve, that's who your Master is. He says, if you serve sin, then we'll see at the end of this chapter, the wages of sin is death. If you serve sin, he's going to pay you. He, he'll pay his debt. His, his debt is death. You serve sin, you're going to die forever. That's, that's his wage. That's what he pays. But he says, if you serve obedience, then you serving unto righteousness. As you serve the Lord then you're living a righteous life. And righteousness is your payment. And being made right with God means that you live e eternally with Him. Verse 17, But God be thanked. And, and see, this is how I know that, that this is not talking about you and I moving from one realm to the other. We can. He says, But God be thanked, in verse 17, that ye were servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. So he says, you folks as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you used to serve sin, but you don't anymore. Amen? Amen. You're no longer a servant of sin. He says, you used to, 
But you've been freed from that. Remember, that's what this chapter is about. We've been freed from sin. And he says, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. Literally in the Greek, it says, into which you were delivered. You obeyed the form of doctrine into which you were delivered. The believer was delivered into salvation. You, you and I were delivered into salvation. We were regenerated so that we could believe the teaching of God. Now this may be confusing. I don't want it to be. But you need to think about this because I really believe this is the way that it works. In John chapter 3, I don't have it up here. I didn't give that to Jesse. But in John chapter 3, Jesus talks to Nicodemus. And Jesus tells Nicodemus that in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you must be what? Born again. And in verse 5, Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. I believe he's teaching here that the Spirit of God goes about wherever He will. And, and we'll see as we get into to the book of Romans, if you've never wrestled with the idea of predestination and election, you just as well get ready because you're going to wrestle with it. It's in here. The Spirit of God goes about where He wills. Finding those that the Father has chosen. And He regenerates a person's spirit so that they're able to receive the teachings of God. They're able to put their faith in Jesus Christ. They're able to believe and to follow Christ. You see, the Bible says that no no man cometh unto to me unless the Spirit draws him. It teaches that the Spirit must draw people to God. I, and, and the Bible, look, Ephesians. Do I have that up there, Jesse? Ephesians. Hmm? Let's, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 for a minute. Because I can tell by the way y'all looking at me. You're thinking, what's he talking about? See, we're, we're, taught, we're taught to believe that we have a part in our salvation. I don't believe we do. And I know that's news to some folks, but I honestly believe that there's not a... Look, the book of Romans has already told us that there's none that seek after God. None. People do not come into this world chasing after God. And somebody that's a servant to sin will never chase after God. 
You don't even have a thought of God unless the Spirit of God comes into you and regenerates you and so that you can think about God and that you can hear the teaching of God and believe the teaching of God. Because look, in Ephesians 2 and verse 8, it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that, the that refers right back to the word faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. I believe that God even has to give us the faith that we need to believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. So I think that here in chapter 6 of Romans, what we're seeing here is that he's saying that, that you were, let me go back to it before I say it wrong. He's saying that you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine into which you were delivered. It's as if God took you, pulled you out of the world, gave you His Spirit, so that when you heard the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, you could understand it, you could receive it, you could believe it, and you could be be born again. You could be saved. And so I'm telling you this morning, if, if you're saved, you didn't have nothing to do with it. You really need to be saying, thank you, God. Praise God that I've been saved. Praise God that He came to me and opened my eyes and my heart and my mind and allowed me to be able to believe unto salvation. Isn't that good news? So he says here that it's that form in which you were delivered. Being made free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness, to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. Now this is a place where we do have a responsibility, if you will. We have a responsibility to to decide. And we'll see as we get into Romans chapter 12, he'll, He'll tell us that we need to decide to present our bodies a living sacrifice to God. But moment by moment, we have the, the ability to decide whether or not to present our bodies to serve sin for a moment or to present our bodies to serve the Lord. Now what it, what it is, I, I think this is what the Bible is teaching. The new person that we are in Christ, the new man, if you will, the person that is now has the Spirit of God in them and has been severed from sin, wants to serve God wholeheartedly and cannot sin. The new man cannot sin because we've been severed from sin. The problem is, for the time being, the new man still lives in this old body that has been marred by sin. And so, as we'll see in Romans chapter 7, Paul says, this body of death is still with me, and it still wants to sin. It still wants to sin. So at any moment in time, our brain might tell us, you know, Hey, you, you, you need to just tell that person off. You going to let them talk to you like that? 
right? Or, hey, you need to look at this right here. Or, hey, you need to think about these. You need to try to work your own problems out. You know, it's always, it's just there. It's always there, and it's always trying to lead us into sin. And the Spirit of God is in our new man, and He's always trying to lead us to God. The Bible says that, that the Spirit lusteth against the flesh, and the flesh against the Spirit. They, they, they're at war with one another. And mine and your responsibility is to, to learn how to live from the Spirit, the new man that we are in Christ, it's controlled by the Holy Spirit. We have to learn how to do that. And that's the progressive sanctification that we're going through as we live on this earth is we're learning how to recognize the sinful flesh and say no to it and to recognize the Spirit of God and say yes to Him. And the only way you can, can successfully do that is to spend time in this book. You won't know the voice of God if you don't read read it from this book. And let me tell you, these people that tell you to empty your mind and sit around and, and listen to, to God speak to you and, and, and don't even open this Bible, that's dangerous. The Bible says to test the spirits. Um, there's, a, there's a popular Christian book, and I shouldn't even say it. It's not Christian. Jesus Calling that teaches new age teachings of just sitting around and opening your mind and letting Jesus speak to you. Well, listen, there's a lot of evil spirits that call themselves Jesus. Okay? Just because the Spirit comes to you and says, I'm Jesus, it doesn't mean it's the Jesus of the Bible. And I'm going to tell you something. Jesus won't speak to you that way. He won't come to you and say to your mind, I'm Jesus, I'm going to talk to you. He's already given you His Word right here. You want to hear from God? Read this book. And as Justin Peter says, if you want to hear God speak audibly, read it out loud. <laughs> now, I don't mean that God can't influence our minds and, and speak things to us inwardly, but it'll never violate this book. And you won't know if it's God if you don't know this book. But something about spending time in the Bible energizes our spirit, man, so that we're able to say yes to God and no to sin. I'm finding in my own life that when I'm tempted to give in to the lust of the flesh, the best thing I can do is go open this book and start spending some time in this book. I don't know how it works, but it works. <laughs> okay? Then he says here um, in verse 20, For when ye were servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. That's what I was saying earlier. You didn't have a sense of what was right and wrong when you were walking around serving sin. All a sinner's concerned about is their self. That's all. They don't have an inner sense of right and wrong. That's why you can look at the world today and see people doing some of the most gross, evil things that can be imagined and it don't seem to bother them one bit. They have no conscience of what's right and wrong. And then he says in verse 21, What fruit had ye then of those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. 
And of course, as we're saved and we have a sense of righteousness, then we are ashamed of the things that we did as sinners. We're ashamed of the things that our flesh still wants to do. You lose your temper and you tell somebody off, you feel terrible about it. Listen, lost people don't feel terrible about that. They feel justified. Boy, I told them, I ain't going to let nobody run over me. Right? But if you're a Christian and you do that, all of a sudden, boy, when that's done, something in you just says, oh, boy, you really shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? And then you, you can't rest till you go make it right. So you have a sense of righteousness. Lost people don't. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness, and the end is what? Everlasting life. Everlasting life. Amen. Amen. The wages of sin is death, he says here in verse 23. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it is a gift. It's given to us from God with, listen, nobody earned that. Nobody can earn that. God did not look at any one person or even look at you and me in eternity and look at us and say, you know that Alan, he deserves to have eternal life. Uh-uh, I don't. The longer I live, the more surprised I am that God would even save me. Why would he even choose to save me? I don't deserve it. But that's the whole point. None of us do. We all are sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to read just a little bit to you. I don't do this often, but I, I think that this book says some things here that I think will be a blessing to you. And uh, I think it will help this maybe make a little more sense. This is Kenneth Wiest's book, uh, Word Studies in the Greek New Testament. And I just marked a few things here I wanted to read to you because he says here under, under verse 16 that uh, understanding what the Bible is teaching us here about this being a servant of God that that's the key to understanding what he's trying to teach us here. So let me just read a few things here to you. He says, uh, The believer has changed masters. And that's what we just read in verse 16. You know, you were the servants of sin, now you're the servants of God. He says, The argument is based upon the meaning of the Greek word translated servants. The Greek word is doulos. The believer was a slave to Satan, he says, before salvation, but since he has been saved, he is a slave of the Lord Jesus. He has changed masters because he has a new nature. 
the divine and the evil nature which compelled him to serve the devil has had its power over him broken. In the various meanings of this word doulos, we will trace Paul's argument to the effect that it is an impossibility for the believer to live a life of planned occasional sin. The believer does sin at times, but he does not provide for it in life's plan for occasional acts of sin. He hates sin and endeavors to keep it out of his life. And in the event that he does commit an act of sin, he deals with it in the confession of the Lord Jesus, putting it out of his life and receiving the cleansing, the blood of, of our, that our Lord Jesus offers. The word refers to one who is born into a condition of slavery. Talking about being, as a, as a doulos, you're born into a condition of slavery. So listen, as we were born by natural generation, we inherited a total, de totally depraved nature through our parents from Adam. A nature which made us love sin and compelled us to serve it habitually. That's who we were before Christ. We served sin. We could do nothing else. Now being born again by the act of regeneration... Through the agency of the Holy Spirit, we are giving a new, given a new nature, the divine, which gives us both the desire and the power to do God's will. You see, I know for a fact that that's one of the indicators that you are truly saved. If you have a desire to serve God and do His will, you're saved. A sinner does not have that desire. A sinner couldn't care less if they serve God and do God's will. As Charles Haddon Spurgeon used to say, dead men don't wrestle. If you're not wrestling with your flesh, then you're lost. You know, the very fact that, that you would say, that I'm concerned that I, I find my... And we'll see this in chapter 7. I find myself... Doing things that I hate. Doing things that I don't want to do. The reason you feel that way is because the Spirit of God's in you. If you wasn't saved, you would, it wouldn't bother you. He says, Paul argues that the believer does not want to live a life of planned occasional sin because in the first place, he does not have to since the power of the evil nature over him is broken. And in the second place, he does not desire to do so since his new creature causes him to hate sin and love righteousness. And when a person does not have to do what he does not want to do, he simply does not do it. The believer has changed masters. That's the whole point here. You have a new master. Again, doulos means one whose will is swallowed up in the will of another. Paul argues that before salvation, the person's will was swallowed up in the will of Satan. But since he has been saved, his will is swallowed up in the sweet will of God. If you're saved, you have a desire to do God's will. Again, he says, the word doulos refers to one who is bound to another in bands so strong that only death can break them. Now listen to this. 
the believer's identification with the Lord Jesus in his death broke the bands which bound him to Satan. Remember what Paul said at the beginning of this chapter? He says, don't you understand you've been crucified with Christ? The death of, we identify with the death of Christ. Christ died to sin. We died with him. We died to sin. So we're no longer slaves to sin because we've died to sin. He says, now he is bound to the Lord Jesus as his bond slave and bound so strong that only death can break them. Since Christ is the believer's life, he will never die again. You understand that? We are for all eternity connected to Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is eternal. He does not die. We do not die. We will not have eternal life one day. We have it today because His Spirit lives in us. And so we'll never stop being a slave to Jesus Christ. I feel sorry for people that teach that you can be saved today and lost tomorrow. It is an impossibility. (laughs) Because if I'm saved, I'm connected to the eternal God. His Spirit is in me. The Bible says the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. He will never come back and take His Spirit away from me. I've been born again once and for all. I can never be lost. I can never die. Amen? Amen. And these people that want to tell you that your salvation depends on you and your behavior and your holiness and you can be saved today and lost tomorrow, I feel sorry for them. Because it's just not true. He says, we will never die again. The believer is bound to him forever. The only way he could live a life of planned occasional sin is to become the slave of the evil nature and Satan. But his bands binding him to the Lord Jesus are unbreakable. Therefore, to return to Satan and his slavery is an impossibility. Amen? And lastly, he says here, doulos also means one who serves another to the disregard of his own interest. The sinner serves Satan to the disregard of his own best interest. He does so because he is compelled to do so. He gets sin and death, sorrow and suffering. So in other words, what he's saying here is, is as a sinner, you're a slave to sin and you can't help but serve sin. And the wages of sin is what? Death. The believer with his own will and accord serves the Lord Jesus with an abandon that says nothing matters about me just so long as the Lord is glorified. Now Paul argues a person who does does that, who disregards himself for the sake of the Lord Jesus, does not want to live a life of planned occasional sin. So, can you live in sin? And be saved? No, it's an impossibility. You've been moved from the realm of sin. You've been moved to the realm of grace. Can you purposely plan and have a desire to sin against God and and, and commit acts of sin just just as as a purposeful act of your will? No, it's impossible because now you have a new master. 
You are connected with him. Your desire is to serve him. We'll see as we go a little further into chapter, as we go into chapter 7, we'll see why it is that we do commit acts of sin. But what I'm saying here is, and what the Bible is trying to say, is that there's a difference in you stumbling or allowing the members of your flesh to be presented to, to sin for a moment. There's a difference in that happening and you deciding, hey, I know I'm a servant of God, but I'm going to serve sin right now. I'm going to serve sin in the morning. I'm going to do this, you know. Having a desire to do it. That's what he's trying to say is you don't have a desire to want to sin if you're truly saved. Your desire is to serve God. If that makes sense, say amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray you'll take this word and you just multiply it in our minds and hearts for your glory. You're the only one that can. In Jesus' name, amen.